You're listening to After Hours by Red Compass Labs, the podcast where the best and brightest of the financial services industry let their hair down, unbutton their collars, and share what they really think about payments. I'm Jonathan Bell, President and Head of Client Relationships at Red Compass Labs. Let's kick things off. So joining us today, we have two esteemed guests. Thank you both for joining. First, we have Greg Prince from Fifth Third Bank. Greg is Vice President and Director of Core Payment Products. Greg, welcome to After Hours. Great well, thank you for you. having me. And also joining, Kjeld Herriman. Um, Kjeld is um, our Head of Payment Strategy here at Red Compass Labs and is something of our European-based ISO 20022 subject matter expert. And this is the subject for our conversation today. We're going to be looking at ISO 20022, changes abounding, regulatory changes that have happened in, in Europe and Asia, making their way across the pond into North America. So we'll be looking at what's the impact of that? What's going to happen? What can we learn from what's happened elsewhere in the world? What's relevant for North America? What's different? And any big, big thoughts, big ideas, big gotchas that we should consider as we do that? America is a gloriously different nation from every other nation on the face of the earth. So let us not assume by any moment that just because it's happened somewhere else, it's the same in America. Not at all. But there are maybe some lessons to learn. Let's get started. So I've got, I've got a few questions just to seed the discussion here. So I'm going to ask Greg. So ISO 20022, we've been talking about it over here in the UK and Europe and in Asia for many years. How well known is it in the US? And would you say it is an opportunity or a bit of a nuisance? <clears throat> I would say, you know, we're seeing adoption, you know, from large corporates and middle market companies that are globalizing, right? We know that all the banks are very familiar with it. We've actually offered the capability for quite some time, but the U.S. is very, you know, EDI centric when it comes to payment messaging, especially in manufacturing and distribution. I think there's been a lot of education over the years about it, right? And it's, you know, been purported that the format itself corrects a lot of sins from the past, but, you know, mainly adoption that we're seeing here in the U.S. is mainly on the large corporate side. Right. Thank you. So we've seen the big corporates starting to take an interest and the banks know about it and you have to provide. And I think the deadline is March 20th, right? To be able to receive inbound and mm -hmm. exactly. messages. Okay. As that, I guess, as that journey kind of begins, Kjeld, any thoughts on the European adventure, misadventure with adopting <laughs> ISO? Obviously, way back when, SEPA, of course, was the first, the, the European, single European payments area it, standard. Yeah, exactly. So, Jonathan, like you said, our, our ISO journey started quite a bit earlier in, in Europe, where in 2008, we started with SEPA, where essentially all the European domestic schemes converged and became this one general European, single European payment uh, infrastructure. So we've been using it since then. Now, the idea was originally to have Target 2, so our high value payment systems, as well as Swift switch over to ISO 2002 in, back in 2021. That was first pushed back by Swift for a year, back to 22, and then the European Central Bank pushed their program back to 23 by a couple of months. But it, it, it's a quite new challenge, right? So we, a lot of banks thought we already know ISO, we do it domestically, but cross-border, it's a whole different ballgame. There's a lot more complexity, a lot more nuance, and, and just the, the format is much richer because it's evolved since we've originally had it since 2008. And I think the, the big difference that we now have 
compared to the US and, and where we can find a lot of value in ISO 2022 in Europe is that our low value payments have always been ISO based or have been since 2008. We have our instant payment scheme, separate instant payment, which has been live on ISO for the last couple of years. And our high value payment systems, as well as our cross-border payments are also migrating to ISO. So that means it really does become the universal standard, if, if you will, for all banks. And it allows interesting opportunities in terms of interoperability, in terms of having an internal canonical data rich format. Yeah, thank you. So, so standards, right? International standards, standards adopted widely. I guess we've kind of seen standards adopted in the past and adopted maybe in slightly different ways in different places. Greg, just, just coming back to yeah. you, you talked about some of the large corporates being, being interested in starting to get moving with this. What are your thoughts about sort of the widespread adoption of ISO in the US? Well, if I kind of think of the US, right, like we've sort of avoided the metric system, right? So I, I kind of wonder on the ISO front, whether we'll see great adoption across middle market and small business. I think a lot of what is probably driving that is also the ERP systems. You know, a lot of the ERP systems, they're premise-based as they kind of move more towards cloud and look more at globalization. I think that will probably be something that pushes the needle forward as far as ISO uh, is concerned. It is a universal language of payment. So internally from a bank perspective, you know, we have to support multiple different formats, multiple different integration types, more or less meet our clients where they need us, you know, to meet them from a technology perspective. But I think, you know, the benefit from a bank perspective is really kind of looking at the format and it's creating a bit of a universal standard, if you will, not only for cross-border payments, but as well as our low value and high value systems if, you know, it's truly embraced from an industry perspective. Yeah, maybe to bounce off of something that Gregory is saying. So it's mainly these large corporates that have adopted ISO because obviously they're they're international, right? They're operating not only in the US, but they're also operating in Europe and Asia. And this ISO standard, it makes them, it quite easy to integrate with their banks in a, in a single way. So we also see that in Europe where the main push from ISO came from these large corporates. But obviously large corporates have a whole ecosystem of clients and suppliers around them. And what we would expect is that kind of this ecosystem of suppliers that are around the large corporates to start adopting ISO, and they're kind of the next layer when it comes to expansion, right? So it might be Ford that starts the ISO journey in, in the US, and then you've got all the manufacturers that are supplying parts to Ford, for example, that can then start to leverage ISO as well as they become increasingly integrated. So it'll ripple through that supply chain, I guess, is what you're saying. And you know, we often think of it being a, a wave that's been rolling from, from Asia, from Europe and across the Atlantic into North America. Is it a ripple? Is it going to go slowly? Or is something going to drive this adoption fast? I mean, Greg, you talked about it being a little bit like the metric system, which was, I guess, half implemented. But depending on how you look at that, it's yes, I know as we drive along the roads there, like here, it's miles per hour and gloriously familiar for that for a Brit. But underpinning most things, I guess, I think in here in the UK and in the US, probably the metric measurements are, are infused in everything. So in effect, the infrastructure is set up perhaps to handle metric. So it's a translation at the border that enables speed in miles and distance and so on. 
Is that what we think is going to happen, that the banks will align on this ISO standard, drive that through, and then usage will increase over time from those customers that are international, hence cross-border, and then it will sweep across domestic as well? Is that what you're thinking? Well, I'm just kind of thinking about, you know, the usage of the metric system and here in the U.S., like, we support both, basically. And so kind of looking at financial institutions from a infrastructure perspective, we'll, of course, have to support ISO. We're seeing SWIFT move forward with that, CHIPS as well as Fed as well. But, you know, just kind of looking at supporting it for large corporate is one thing, but, you know, we have to be able to support middle market. So I think unless there's a specific mandate kind of on the use of ISO, I think it's really going to kind of more or less drive to how customers will integrate through their ERP integrations and more, you know, globalization of those ERPs, I think will further drive the adoption of ISO. But I think also as the format itself extends, ISO doesn't necessarily do the same capabilities, if you will, that EDI does. And EDI is big on our supply chain here in the U.S. ISO doesn't necessarily extend to all the functions that EDI could do here locally for the manufacturer. So I kind of envision that we'll see, you know, over time as the format adopts, more capability gets added around being able to facilitate the supply chain like EDI can. That's probably, I think, what would be the main driver as to greater adoption here in the U.S. So the ISO standard itself will need to expand and extend to be able to capture at least what EDI does. So it's not a backward step, right? Yeah, I would think so. I think ISO, I mean, we talked about it being richer, but it's also more structured and, and the information is more contextualized. So thinking about addresses, thinking about things like legal entity identifiers and the way that the ISO adoption has been driven by central banks and by market infrastructures today has been in such a way that it allows banks to use this boundary translation and quite limited in terms of requirements, in terms of what data they need to, to supply, we see that shifting. So for example, the ECB is looking to make structured addresses mandatory by 2025. We see the UK, which is going to mandate legal entity identifiers in, in some scenarios. And that is a big advantage for banks and for market infrastructures because it allows them to capture more information and, and get a better understanding of their payment flows and obviously be much more efficient when it comes to sanction screening, for example. So these rich data elements that aren't necessarily being used today yet, once we see adoption being pushed by market infrastructures by banks, it'll essentially drive down costs for banks when it comes to payment processing. And corporates that are able to provide that rich information upfront will have higher STP rates and therefore will cost less for banks to process their payments. And if we go back many years, corporates used to initiate payments using faxes, you know, or, or to call their banks up. Today, you can still do that, but it's a premium product. At some point, the first bank said, this is inefficient and we're going to start charging a premium for using anything else than EDI or, or file-based initiation. And I think in the long run, that's where ISO is going to head there, where we'll see a pricing differentiation, where essentially initiating payments through ISO will be cheaper for corporates 
then it will be using other formats. It'll take a while to get there and it'll take a while for the first bank to dare to do that. But I think that's when the real wave starts because no bank wants to be first to start charging for it. But I think when the first one starts doing it, that we'll see that wave picking up quickly. That, that's a really great point. I know the format's very rich from a data perspective, and I think a lot of banks are struggling with that, right? You know, the over-truncation or the overpopulation of data and the truncation of data that happens, plus all the various different systems and applications internally that payments data moves to. So like as you're kind of starting on your ISO journey, right? You start to realize all the tentacles, you know, that the payment and the format types and, and how that transcends across multiple different applications within the bank, OFAC being one. What's interesting too about the ISO format is its versatility. Like there's multiple different ways that you can basically communicate the same information in the format. So it does offer some flexibility, you know, for, you know, the corporate that may be using it. But I think that's a very interesting fact about straight through processing and really cascading that efficiency benefit, if you will, down to corporates. So I might put that in the back of my mind there. <laughs> just, just a thought, maybe a dumb question, but I'm the guy who gets to ask them. So we've talked a bit about corporates and how they, they will start to use this, particularly those of an international nature. Just thinking of some other use cases that may overlap and not interested in your thoughts. So instant payments, and we have real-time payments, we have instant payments in the US, different routes, different rails, I guess. Elsewhere in the world, instant payments has taken off in certain regions. I'm thinking of the India UPI example, where it's, it's rocketed and sort of changed the way they do payments. But that's on an individual, I guess we sometimes call it retail basis, individual people, as opposed to just businesses. Is there a instant payments, real-time payments related use case that would drive this from the view that you're talking about, Greg, as being corporates? Does this, does ISO affect your average citizen in the US doing their day-to-day. How's that going to play out? What kind of sticks out in my mind is the bill pay use case. So if I think about like consumers making online bill pay and using the request for payment capability that's inherent with the either in instant payments or RTP, Mm -hmm. to me, that really could provide applicability to the consumer where they might not necessarily know that ISO is involved behind the scenes, as we probably all know. The instant payment formats, you know, are leveraging a variation of the ISO 20022 as a backbone for that messaging. And so I always think about, you know, bill pay as being interesting, but I also wonder, you know, pay by bank and kind of using that more from a retail perspective. I think there's still some that needs to be worked out more or less on both front regarding requests for payments. We're a very consumer-centric country as far as like consumer protections. And I think there's, you know, some thoughts about, you know, how can we make something that's supposed to be irrevocable, you know, kind of apply to consumer protections. But to me, requests for payment might be something that a consumer would use that might not necessarily know that they're really interacting with uh, ISO behind the scenes. Exactly. And I think that has the ability to revolutionize bill pay in the process. Yeah. So ISO is essentially something that's going to allow banks to operate more efficiently and to to bring down their costs as well when it comes to, you know, thinking about interoperability and and, and sanction screening and all of that. 
And it's one of the things that always surprises me when looking at the US market. It's the price of payments, especially for consumers. In Europe, retail customers don't pay for account-based payments. It's part of your standard banking package. Just like now today with telcos, you pay X a month for your, for your package, but you don't pay for per phone call or per text message anymore. So we've gone through that evolution in, in Europe and it's because we have these very efficient market infrastructures. And the ISO-based market infrastructures that we have in Europe are incredibly cheap compared to the pricing that those market infrastructures charge in the US. So I think that's that's going to change things in the US as well as ISO is something that's going to act as lever to make the payments more efficient, more cheap in the US. It's going to promote financial inclusion and it's going to allow people for whom account-based payments today were quite expensive to take part in that ecosystem a couple of years down the line. Interesting point there, Kjeld. So it comes down to standardizations, cost reductions for the bank ultimately, which can be passed on as cost reductions to the customers. The customers can get their money moving instantly, quicker, straight through processing. All of these things open up opportunities, I think, for the bank to provide additional overlay services. Just back to that point we talked about briefly, I think you mentioned the data. So it's a rich message structure. And as that data starts to flow through the bank, a real opportunity, Greg, for banks such as yours at Fifth Third to really get to know what's going on with those payment flows, what the customers, what your customers are doing and what their needs are, and then an opportunity to provide more services to them as a consequence of processing the ISO messages, would you say? Yeah, I mean, banks are rich with data, but banks also kind of have a bit of a challenge where all the data has been basically siloed because each one of our payment rails is basically speaking a different language. And so I think from an ISO perspective, being able to provide some commonality in that data format, I think we'll be able to more easily unlock the value that's really in our payment flows. There's a lot that you can really tell around what a consumer is paying, what a corporate is paying. And if, you know, we can unlock that data to provide more business insights, you know, to our corporate customers or more spending insights to our consumers, to me, that's really the value in a financial institution. We have access to kind of both sides of the transaction and can really leverage that data to both help the, the financial futures of our consumers as well as you know our corporates in running their business. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're getting close to our time now. So just I guess just to kind of close out the conversation, if I could ask you, Kjeld, to just share a couple of things that maybe have been learned in Europe and around the world that would be potentially relevant for Greg and his fellow Americans. And then Greg, you get the final, final word to say, Kjeld, that's a load of rubbish. That doesn't apply to us. We don't care about that European nonsense. Kjeld, go first and then we'll tear it to pieces. I like the word that, that Greg used, tentacles. And I think a lot of banks underestimated the amount of tentacles that these ISO programs had and the amount of systems that they touched on. I think there's also a question of do you go for a tactical approach, looking at boundary translation, but keeping your canonical formats in, in kind of your legacy formats, shielding your payment engines from, from that complexity? Or do you go for a more strategic approach and kind of make ISO 2002 your, your common reference data model and essentially 
use that to get customer insights. And I think with the constrained budgets that there were, a lot of banks opted to go for tactical solutions, which in the long run might not always be the best investment. It might make more sense in the long run to go for a more strategic one. And I think in the US you're facing a similar type of situation where there's a lot that's happening in payments. You have uh, on one side ISO 2002, you have instant payments or real-time payments, which are starting to get more and more traction. You have open banking, which is starting to pick up in the US. So it's hard to kind of focus, but I think it starts with building a common data model and ISO 2002 is a great place to start. So it's convincing management, I think, to invest in ISO 2002 as canonical data model and building everything around that, even though it's more costly than doing truncation. I think that would be a key message. So do it right from the first time. Greg. I, I would completely agree with that. And I think, you know, there's just so much change kind of going on in the payments landscape, I think, both internationally, you know, and here domestically. That's a very important point for financial institutions to understand is this is really the time to think strategic. It's very easy to kind of get caught up in the, the tactical point. But I think there's also a lot to learn, you know, when we look at our partners across the pond, so to speak, you know, what is the lessons learned that we can kind of understand when we look at Europe and other market infrastructures that have adopted this sooner? Probably some things, some pitfalls that we can stay away from, but maybe some things that we can improve on here in the U.S. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Well, great. Well, thank you both. We're just about reached the end of our time. Thank you, Greg, for joining us and sharing your thoughts and insights. Look forward to continuing the conversation with you, including at Natcha in a few weeks' time. Keld, thank you for your European experiences and insights too. ISO's coming. It's coming. It's an opportunity to use it as it drives this change through our banking community. Use it for the good of the bank use it for the good of the customers. Ultimately, it's all about the customers, whether they be corporate or individuals. That's what we're saying from this particular conversation. And we could talk for hours and hours, but we'll draw it to a close there. So thanks to both of you. Thanks for listening to After Hours by Red Compass Labs. If you've enjoyed this discussion and are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please do follow us to be informed about new podcasts coming up. That's all for this episode. See you next time.